Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. This is episode 18. I'm your host, Shelley Brisbane. And today we're going to do a little bit of catch up because you might be aware that earlier this month, as we speak, uh, Google I.O. and Microsoft Build conferences were held. And we didn't do the rundown that we did last year for a couple of reasons. First of all, there were a few other things on my plate. And secondly, I don't know that these were blockbuster conferences individually, uh, but together they lead to some things that are of interest to this audience. There were some pushers for accessibility, both directly and indirectly. And so I wanted to get together with somebody who spent a lot of time looking at Microsoft and Google. And um, and sometimes we even uh, meet me as an Apple fan, and uh, he is a Microsoft aficionado specifically. Uh, sometimes we bicker a little bit, so we may or may not do that this show. We'll see. Uh, but my guest is Joe Steinkamp. He is the co-host of the Blind Bargains podcast. And as he will tell you on many shows, he's a Windows insider, people. It's very important. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hi. Ketchup. I've been thinking about Whataburger ketchup ever since you said ketchup <laughs> at the beginning. Friends of mine just came back from Texas and gave me like this 40-ounce bottle of spicy Whataburger ketchup. It There's a lot of Whataburger so news good. this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you know Whataburger is, they have retained a, an investment bank, Morgan Stanley, to explore their options. So people in Texas are verklempt. They're worried that Whataburger might be up for sale. I would think that they will become another division of Arby's as so many other places have no! fast become. That's that's like oh, the worst ew. possible outcome. I, I would think so. Everything <laughs> forms Arby's. It was not Taco Bell that won the uh, food wars in, in Demolition Man. It was definitely... I don't even know what uh, you're saying right now, yeah. but let's just, let's just hope that Whataburger <laughs> maintains its independence. That's anyway, cool. we're here to talk about Microsoft and Google things I know more about than I know uh, okay. fast food. Well, more techie stuff. Got it. Right. Yeah, techie problem. stuff. So, so, uh, so Build and Google I.O. kind of perform the same function. They're developer conferences. Same just week. As, just, yes, yeah, same week. That was weird, too. So interestingly enough, and this is just a little aside for our, our friends who are not in the accessibility world. So this week we had, this year we had Google and uh, Microsoft do their conferences the same week. And a little later in the summer, the two major blindness organizations are going to have their conventions overlapping, too. What are they trying to do to you, Joe? Uh, and last year was uh, GDC and... Uh, CSUN on the same week. That also was a little but, bit... And this year they were adjacent, right? You got to I, go to both. I, you yeah, just did I was like able, a junket. Yeah, so I went to CSUN at Anaheim and then flew up to San Francisco for the uh, Xbox and the uh, Game Accessibility Conference. So, Very nice. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and got to see a, a bunch of friends there who I know from Microsoft. So that was that was really nice. Um, some I told you I, he was an insider. I, I, I'm <laughs> going to be very careful because some things are under NDA. So I may stop just uh, mid-sentence. Oh, I'm going to try and get the secrets yeah, out of you. But This is not good. Um, so we had the same thing, uh, uh, the same show-ish kind of thing on the same week. So a bunch of developers fly to places unknown uh, to sit and learn from the companies themselves about what is coming up for Microsoft as a whole. And, you know, in the case of Google I.O., um, they're talking about Chrome, they're talking about Android, they're talking about uh, Google Assistant. In the case of Microsoft, it's a, it's a bit more. It's it's a, a Windows, of course, but also Azure and some of the things that are surrounding uh, things like GitHub, because Microsoft has that now. And, of course, somewhere in there is LinkedIn. Well, maybe not so much LinkedIn, but I mean, there is definitely uh, the ability for that to come up into conversation. Now, 
when we watch these, uh, in our neck of the woods, we tend to start, uh, you know, when are they going to say the A word? When does accessibility come out? When are they going to start talking about stuff that, uh, might impact things that I do or things that I use. And this year, uh, it was a little different, but it was different in a good way. And so by that, I mean, it wasn't necessarily related to blindness and low vision. A lot of others got a, a good bit of, uh, fanfare a good seat at the party from both Google and Microsoft this year, which I think is really exciting. I think we have a tendency in the blindness community, uh, to be too insular and not look around, haha, look around us to what other things need to come online from, for other disabilities. Uh, and so both shows did it in their own way. And both of them featured accessibility, uh, in very key points of their talks in very different ways, but still it was there. And I think it was really exciting. Yeah, they did. And I, do you feel like companies are starting to compete on accessibility? Now there's, there's this always the sort of, I want to be a do-gooder thing and, and all of them do it. Apple does it. Microsoft does it. Google does it where they want to talk about accessibility from the point of view of what story it tells about the company. But it feels to me like, they're using accessibility as a way to demonstrate what they believe are their core competencies. We'll get to it, but Microsoft certainly does that with AI, for example. Yeah, and it's worked into the culture. So one of the things coming into Build, and I saw this at Anaheim and I saw it again when I was at um, GDC, is that a lot of accessibility fans and companies and those who are uh, very deep into development or user design were impacted by Microsoft spending $5 million at the beginning of the year on an advertisement for the Super Bowl for the adaptive game controller. So the adaptive Xbox controller, uh, which was released last year, uh, did a great, you know, gigantic uh, flare in the sky for people to see that there is something that can, you know, be a big thing for everybody, which is, of course, games, games for everyone, which is the mantra through the inclusive design lab. Now, one of the things that, you know, really gets it out there is a, a had during the Super Bowl. And so Microsoft doing that brought a lot of conversation to the table in an arena that usually it isn't really seen or discussed. And that carried over. A lot of people told me both at CSUN and, and GA uh, that, you know, they had people ask them about the Xbox adaptive controller and it opened up conversations where they really didn't have those conversations before in audiences in arenas they hadn't seen it before. So I think that really started to uh, impact a lot of people outside of Microsoft. Now, inside Microsoft, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a real big part of culture. And some of that comes from uh, Satya Nudella himself, having children who are uh, disabled. And he talks about that in his book. Uh, and I think that kind of, of, you know, view from the top and impact on down through all the divisions has really kind of resonated through Microsoft as a whole. And certainly we've seen that in the way that they are putting a lot more effort into building a great screen reader, a really nice screen magnifier, and also other products that are in mobile space as well. So it's not just Windows. And in, it is also making things that are fairly accessible for various disabilities in other things such as, you know, bringing the Linux kernel in. Well, some people have the opportunity to have a terminal that they can interact with uh, in the technology that they use more often. Uh, in the case of Xbox, there's a lot of things going on, not only with the adaptive controller, but with eye gaze. So, uh, you know, being able to see your eyes and interacting, uh, the ability to have 
text-to-speech and speech-to-text in chat, in games, spills over to things like uh, Skype or uh, being able to read menus on a game through the screen reader also pulls over to doing things like using artificial intelligence to look at a PowerPoint slide, read the embedded text or describe the picture to you through office 365. So for Microsoft, it's everywhere. It's not just one particular channel that they're putting a lot of their effort into. It is definitely going through the company as a whole. Well, let's take some of those chunks uh, in a little bit smaller uh, bites. So I started by talking about AI, and we as, as blind and visually impaired folks have seen the sort of seeing AI as a, as a demonstration of what Microsoft has been able to do with AI. But they're starting to promote other AI initiatives that have some relevance to disability. And they say pretty openly that they're using those disability-related test cases as sort of a a promotion for their AI skills overall, and they've given out some of the uh, the grants. I can't remember the name of the grant program. Oh, AI for accessibility, right? But no, but yeah, but they, but they have this this incredibly large grant program where they're giving mm-hmm. out uh, for individual projects that that they that have been brought into Microsoft. So, what did we see at Build that furthered the the AI initiatives that Microsoft's been working on? So, a lot of that is tied to things that are dealing with. Uh, one called Inner Voice, which is a project that came through speech recognition and alternative communication. Uh, There's a lot being done at Microsoft in the case of autism with visual search. And so, uh, you know, you might not be able to communicate well or you're having trouble getting an idea across and uh, some things that are visual make more sense. And some of that is being done with you know, each company calls it a little different. So Microsoft likes to say AI, you'll hear Google say machine learning more, uh, but they're kind of sort of the same thing, just, you know, relabeled in a, in a, in a, their own way. Uh, so some of that information is being leveraged through things like Azure, their cloud services. Uh, and so that all kind of works together to provide things, uh, to make things easier to hear or to understand depending on whether you're having an issue with uh, the ability to speak or the ability to interpret speech. And so both of those come into a big part of how they're using that stuff in the cloud. Right. Uh, and, and they were using those AI uh, demos as part of not, I don't know if they did it so much in their keynote, but certainly in the sessions that followed it. And there's a lot of stuff that came out of build in terms of, Hey, look, we're doing, it's not for a while. It was just seeing AI, and that was a great app. And they've they had some demos at Build that extend the functionality of that. But as you say, it's going toward a lot of different disabilities. How about the the core of Microsoft are Azure and Windows? I guess those are the business focused parts of Microsoft. Don't worry, sure. we'll get to gaming. But uh, <laughs> but tell me what's new. And I think even at CSUN, which happened in March, and which if you listen to parallel a couple of episodes ago, you heard our CSUN uh, wrap up show. CSUN being an assistive tech technology-specific conference, and we talked a lot about Microsoft's work on Narrator, which is the screen reader built into Windows, and we talked about just their approach to the disability community. But what did we see and build in terms of uh, new Windows and Azure-related stuff? So there were things that are being uh, used through the cloud to provide information in real time, such as some of the things that are coming to PowerPoint and SharePoint, which actually some of that has just recently come out, uh, to be able to get some of that information like real time captioning or uh, the ability to have 
uh, some of those placed into chat so they can be read as things are going along, kind of like a transcript. And uh, a lot of that also comes down to uh, doing things within uh, the framework that Microsoft is setting up through containers. So a lot of not pretty stuff. It's a lot of the pipes that are being placed behind the walls. Uh, so a lot of the things that are coming through Azure are pathways and conduits in which they can get that information to flow more freely or uh, be able to be integrated within products that are there. So it's not necessarily something that you have to dig to find. It's actually within the user interface or Windows itself can start recognizing that. You can personalize Windows. And so it starts turning those things on as needed in an ad hoc situation as those programs are being utilized. And a lot of that can be set, you know, either through user prompt or, you know, can actually be group policy. If you're an organization, say an organization like a school for the deaf, where you need that on all the computers. So that would just come down automatically. So administration tools in a lot of cases, and then some of the programming tools like visual C is having more and more screen reader functionality placed within it. So the people who are actually making the code and putting it into the cloud are having more tools that they can interact with, which is pretty exciting. That's great. I, I think when companies get to that point, when that they're making they're making their tools accessible for for developers, which of course applies within Microsoft and without Microsoft. I mean that that's the that's commitment because I I feel like making tools that you use to make stuff are often laggards because you think about accessibility in terms of oh let's help those those blind folks or those folks who use a chair let's help them use our apps so they can be like everybody else but they don't think in terms of let's help them get the tools so that they can be great coders and they can build things not only for their own community but for anybody well in taking a step back there was a link uh that i i have here for show notes that talks about what is available just at microsoft build for accessibility. And it's rare you see a conference talk about what amenities that they have available. Uh, so, Super detailed, because you'll uh -huh. see a lot of perfunctory, uh, hey, we're su we support accessibility. It's on you to call us if you need something, but we're not even going to tell you what we provide. But this is an extremely detailed. I kind of wondered why you put it in there. And then I read it. And I was like, oh, I get this. This is like really intense and very helpful to somebody who wants to attend build here are the accessibility uh, offerings that we have and here's a point of contact for you while you're at the conference exactly and they also do a companion pass which i'm starting to see more at yeah, conferences uh, so if you are someone who is attending and you need some assistance or if you have an attendant that works with you or someone uh, if you're not a in a power chair you need assistance pushing uh, say in San Francisco, where there's lots of hills, uh, you might need someone to be a Sherpa to get you up those hills. And so that person isn't necessarily charged. They're given a companion pass as part of your uh, approval to go to the show. And that's a big deal. So let's talk about, I don't know how much it was discussed at Build. I think it might have come out, but this is the uh, controller with Braille support. Uh, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, so that the was game controller. just announced. It was a patent that was filed. Um, I'm sure it right, probably It's not a product. Right. There's some and nice drawings, but it is I, not, it's not a release product. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't a mock-up at the Inclusive Design Lab. Um, I think it's really neat because for years I've been kind of joking around at Microsoft events like uh, Windows... When does uh, Braille come to the Xbox? Because Narrator has been in there since 2015. Uh, and so if it's a miniature version, like it's a min-win version of Windows, then somewhere deep in there probably is the ability to flip on the flag for Braille support. And then here comes this little article uh, from TechCrunch and other places that says that, yeah, they did patent one. And I 
think that makes a lot of sense because they have originally asked people to use the controller for everything. Then they provided uh, a way for you to double tap the, uh, the, the Xbox guide button to switch modes. So you switch from the controller mode of narrator where it's driven by the controller to narrator proper, where you can use a keyboard and start using narrator commands and use it like a proper screen reader with a keyboard and do certain things like jump to heading and, and follow along. And of course you can actually launch Microsoft edge on the Xbox and read web pages uh, from edge if you needed to. So that there is that ability because again, it is a version of windows. So the idea that the braille support would work uh, would be awesome. I would like it to be Bluetooth. So that's the biggest thing that Microsoft still has to enable right now. Most of the braille is USB connected. So, uh, we don't have a Bluetooth way of doing that yet. So I can't surf from across the room or Ricky can't steal the Xbox controller with the braille display on it and start just reading along. Uh, but it's, it's a means to an end because as we start getting into doing more things with games that have lots of text in them or lots of dialogue, or maybe it's, it's something like, you know, Assassin's Creed where some of the terms aren't familiar to you. Uh, if the screen reader or the ability to pull that text onto a braille display is there, then you can read it and understand it a little better than trying to figure out how speech was mangled on certain words and terms. And that does happen. So just as a quick aside, because I honestly don't know, uh, Apple gets a lot of credit for its braille support, especially in iOS, but how's braille support on windows these days? So it uses uh, a lot of open source licenses like LibLui, and it came to narrator a couple of years ago, uh, which was a big thing. So really helpful in that a lot of things that have been said about narrator in the past is that it didn't have some of the core competencies that you would find in other commercially available screen readers. Uh, Microsoft over the last couple of years has been really adding a bunch of talent from various places, including former screen reader companies to join the ranks over at the accessibility at lab. And it's starting to show. So some of the things that you would expect in a screen reader are, uh, you know, there in narrator and it's getting better all the time. And of course that's a free screen reader. And the advantage of that is, uh, any computer that's running on the latest version of windows, uh, we could interact with that. And the same thing is being done with Nar uh, now that narrator has kind of had a good run. They're not stopping, but magnifier is starting to get the love. And so some of the things that we have seen with commercially available screen magnifiers are starting to come to windows magnifier. And it's really starting to be a beefier kind of program for those who need some introduction to that. Because in a lot of cases, this may be someone's first time interacting with assistive technology. It might be, you know, the iPhone with voiceover or zoom, but if they're using windows, uh, say that's what the family computer is, or they're at work, chances are they might encounter windows magnifier, windows narrator first, because it's already there and built in and they didn't have to download anything. And in a lot of cases, uh, enterprise might actually have it locked down. So you couldn't load any other third party software on it. So that might be your first and only way of being able to interact with the computer. But, but what about braille support? Because I, I know it exists, but I don't know sort of right. how well it works. It, it, it works fairly well. Ricky, uh, is the big braille reader in the house and she, uh, uses it with narrator a lot. And uh, her biggest complaint I've already echoed, which was, uh, the fact that you have to use a connected braille display at the moment. So no utilization of, say, if you have a braille display that can connect to multiple devices, you know, in the case of some Braille displays, you can connect to three devices at once. So your phone, uh, your MacBook, 
your Android tablet. You could do it all through Bluetooth, but in the case of Windows, you still have to go up and connect it within. And uh, they added support for things like the Orbit Reader 20 just recently. So most of your commonly found Braille displays should work. Uh, you just had to go in there and enable it and make sure it finds it. So you're talking about the, the game controller not supporting Bluetooth. You're saying there's no Braille support for Bluetooth at all. I mean, no, no Bluetooth support for, for Braille. Or you, you have right. to connect it. Right. Okay. You have to you have to connect well, your USB devices. That's a little surprising to me, but right. I mean, wow. <laughs> right. All right. Live and learn. learn. Learn something new every day. Do we need to cover anything else about Microsoft Build or shall we talk some about Google? I think the thing we should remember about Microsoft is that this isn't our father's Microsoft. We are looking at Windows updating twice a year. That's that's hard to fathom. Uh, and with those updates come a lot more accessibility. And a perfect example of that is Microsoft Edge now using Chromium. Uh, because there's now Chromium involved in Edge, Microsoft has put a lot more work for Narrator and Magnifier to work with Chrome in general. So there's a little bit of a spillage effect. So when Microsoft starts doing more things in open source, uh, then we start to see more accessibility come to those projects. And the Chromium example is a perfect uh, target of that. You're right. And Google developers of Chrome have a pretty good record with being involved in web standards. And I would hope that that would link over to Microsoft. Microsoft has gotten criticism for its browsers over the years, and I'm not going to, you know, let the the sins of Internet Explorer still spill onto them. But the fact that they're using Chromium does seem to me like one of the things they must have in mind is support for standards, and support for standards is usually helpful to accessibility on the web. Yeah, and multi-platform. So Microsoft yeah. Edge, you know, the first time in 16 years there's a Microsoft web browser available for your Mac. So there is a lot of ability to make Edge something that was way different than when it was originally conceived. So a, a lot of that containerization, uh, you know, the ability to use things across devices, which Microsoft was already doing with Android. They were sort of already going in that direction by making Android their test bed for a lot of things. Uh, so you could actually connect Android to Windows and you could share contacts back and forth. But now that they're, you know, going over to iOS more and more and giving you that opportunity, you can sync things across. Kind of like what some people do with Chrome and Firefox, where they could have all their extensions and all their, uh, you know, library of websites that they go to most commonly available on any computer that they walk up to just by signing in. Well, let's uh, segue over to Google since we actually did uh, sort of almost get there. <laughs> the segues and blind bargains are starting to, uh, We're to s- sneak over into parallel. Uh, anyway, All hail yeah. Tom Merritt, what can right. I say? Um, Tom. We'll be Tom. chatting with very soon. Um, so, so on Google, um, I actually read a headline that posited that Google I.O. was actually all about a number of things and accessibility was name-checked in the headline along with AI. I would and agree. that doesn't mean that Google made giant announcements. And we'll get to, I guess, the most sort of solid substantive one is just Android Q has more accessibility, but we'll get to that in a bit. But I guess I want to get your general take on uh, where accessibility fit in in Google I.O. I think it did make the keynote, yes? It did. And it was stunning in what they were doing. So, you know, as creepy as duplex was last year, and that's the that's the thing that Google announced that can make ho- a hotel or food reservations for you sounding like a human being. Um, it started off in a really kind of weird way, but a year later, 
uh, we're seeing different things come out of that, such as the ability for Google to interpret people's speech patterns and make them sound a little better. So if someone has say MS or suffered a stroke or had something that affected their ability to communicate, they actually could utilize this software that they demonstrated that allows you to have Google interpret your speech after a while. It knows what you're trying to say and when you're trying to say it and put that context together and form sentences and words. So if you're interacting with somebody over the phone or if you're interacting, you know, in person, you can have that uh, already be your, you know, almost universal translator, which they also demonstrated by showing us again, how fast their speech translation can happen on the fly for, you know, walking around in another country and trying to provide communication. That was amazing. That was absolutely fantastic. And then they went on to talk about how they're bringing a lot of that uh, to hearing aids. And so they're playing a little bit of catch up there. Apple, Apple was already going in this direction, but, uh, now you have Android Q, which is going to have a lot more support for Bluetooth hearing aids and the ability to increase, uh, the world around you by hearing things through the phone, which will be then, you know, made louder by using, uh, audio devices that are connected to your Android device, which is also really cool. And you throw that into some of the things that they've been doing before, uh, coupled in with Android Q kind of sort of forcing dark mode, which is ironic because, uh, Android used to be a lot of dark system, you know, usages back in, uh, Android 2.2 all the way up to about, oh, about lollipop is where lollipop marshmallow started to be the place where they went back to text on a white background. But for a long time, that's what, that's how you knew it was an Android device versus an iPhone because it used to be white on black. Yeah, and then occasionally you would get a screen that was the reverse, and it was like, okay, that's bad design. <laughs> yes, yeah, I had that a lot. Yeah, and then there was this Google Lens text to speech thing, which I think they market when they they the, the example they gave was somebody who wasn't able to read, who could have text turned into speech for them. But that's just got all sorts of applications beyond sure, that. Sure, sure, and and they looked at a receipt, and it could automatically tabulate a tip or you could split the tip with people or you could look at a menu and it would highlight certain things on the menu that people might like according to Google reviews through Google maps. So a lot of that artificial intelligence thing happening again. And of course, Google lookout, which they introduced last year at IO, uh, was being more, uh, ported over to more phones and Google lookout is the ability to use your phone's camera to detect objects in real time. So couch cat, Television, you know, just by moving your phone around and you'd be able to get that information by it detecting what's in the world around you, uh, which is pretty neat. And that had been kind of locked away for most of 2018. And then right before CSUN, uh, they made it publicly available. And then it started to come to more things like LG. And I think Motorola gets it as well. The interesting thing about these uh, tools that are sort of released as technology demos is a lot of them aren't on devices yet or you don't know where they're going to 
end up? And I guess I wonder, as somebody who observes this and you, you see something new and, you, and those things are announced and shown off in order to get the ooh and ah factor and to, to get the headlines, quite frankly. But I guess I wonder, based on what you saw this year, whether you felt like you, you just mentioned that Lookout was coming to, to more phones, but whether you felt like the features they were showing had a practical roadmap for where they were going to end up. Do you feel like you understood when and how you were going to be able to use those new technologies that Google was showing off? Yeah, that actually is one of those where I feel like it will come to, I feel like it'll come to Microsoft sooner than it will Google. But with that said, remember last year at Build, Microsoft showed off that you will be able to use Alexa instead of Cortana. And that took a long time to come out. In fact, that was, I think, February was when that finally started to come out of beta. Uh, And so you have... Some things like the John Legend voice in the case of Google, which came out in April, right before Google I.O. So it seems like they do a lot of moonshots, or if not moonshots, or at least doing low orbit halos, uh, not not to steal another Microsoft line there, but, um, but <laughs> orbit halos around things to, you know, inspire people. But they take a while for those things to come out or at least make them available for for you to be able to use more uh, in a daily kind of situation. Right. And I I guess the positive way to look at it is, number one, it's a developer's conference. You want those features out there so that people can build build stuff that will work with them. And the second thing is you could have the Apple problem where nothing is ever spoken of until it's shipping. And sometimes that's a mistake. (laughs) So in Microsoft particularly, and tell me about Google, because I don't follow them as closely as I follow Microsoft, but Microsoft in its mainline products one of my favorite things about them is the way they do road mapping and whether it's all the I, I always make jokes about insiders and various rings of insiders because since I'm not part of it I don't understand it and we always make fun of the things we don't understand but it feels like just in general whether it's actual access to software or whether it's just explaining this is what we're going to do in the next year that's somewhere something that Microsoft has, has been really good at so I'm wondering if you think Google has followed in that vein as well. So being a, a Microsoft fanboy and also being in a Google aficionado was sitting around with about 12 different Google home enabled devices in this, this home of his, um, the, the good side about Microsoft is that it's tangible and generally a lot of it is opt in. You have to opt in, say to use the latest version of windows, not just the one that's available to the public or a more advanced version of that public version you you have to go through those you know those levels like you were saying so you have to go like in the case i'll just say for you know microsoft xbox um i was an xbox insider i've turned in enough bugs and reports that i had the opportunity to jump into alpha next and alpha next is the actual raw dumps of things and i have an xbox downstairs that that takes that on and i have an xbox upstairs which uh has a production build so i can actually compare the two that's how crazy i am but anyway uh you have those kinds of things where the roadmap is laid out they tell the insiders what they're we're going to do what you're going to test you have quests that you go in and you get rewarded for it and you have a pretty clear idea of what's coming within the next three six even sometimes a year of what Microsoft would like to do. They're very transparent in that, especially with their testers. Uh, Google is a little bit harder because in a lot of cases, let's just take Android, for example, uh, you have to be running almost the latest software and hardware to be able to see what Google is shooting for. So to play with Android Q, you probably have to have a, a newer Pixel 
and you have to be, you know, running the latest version of that beta. And then of course the downside is, is that if you like something with Google, uh, it could disappear faster than it does with Microsoft. Microsoft has legacy. And one of the things that Microsoft doesn't do very well is deprecate older hardware and software. It took forever for Microsoft to flip switches on things because they're afraid of dropping off anything from that billion device number that runs windows. Google has no fear whatsoever about dropping a product as we have seen number of times just recently. Uh, and in fact, they just recently kind of, uh, pulled back from something. So when they were moving nest under the Google brand, after they had spent five yeah, years, I was going to ask you about that just to serve a general conversation about home stuff. And if you're if ready for that, we can do it. But the nest thing was interesting and just their general approach to I mean, I'm a I'm an old time Nest customer, right? So I my Nest isn't even you know well it's it's smart enabled in the ex, to the extent that my Google Home Mini can talk to it, but I'm not in as big a world of hurt as somebody who might have bought a Nest four or five years ago and is wondering whether the the Google Home envelopment uh, now even though it's called Nest is going to you know eliminate some features or access that they had before. And it's funny you should say that because five years ago in, you know, 2013, Google was under the privacy banner. They were fearing the EU antitrust. And so they had pushed Nest away. They didn't, they thought that was a line too far and people might get a little weirded out that Google could see things in, you know, your temperature uh, and what's going on in your home and things like that. Then along comes Jeff Bezos, Amazon and Echo and you know, that opened the door. So now it didn't feel so crazy. Google was happy that Amazon went ahead and went through the door because that had a bunch of things that they wanted to do, but couldn't because they felt like they would get targeted. And now they're just like another company that's doing it. So that allowed them to, you know, reabsorb Nest back under the Google brand. And at first they had said that there were two things that they were doing. There was works with Google and works with Nest. And they had said at IO that the, you know, works with Nest, ah, we're going to kill that. And then there was a bit of an uproar because people had spent thousands of dollars on home automation. And so Google has kind of pulled back and given it a little bit of reprieve as far as works with Nest goes, uh, because they had told all those developers that their work was kind of going to come to an end and sunsetted, except for Amazon. All, all the other devices were going to uh, not work as well, but the Echo would keep on going and people kind of called them out on that and they kind of reversed course just recently on that. So yeah, it's it's very easy for Google to deprecate things. Uh, we have a long history of things like just this year inbox, Google Plus, uh, and some that, that fall along the same, you know, landslide as Wave and other horrible things that Google have tried before. Oh, Google has tried and failed with many things. And I and also even when they keep something around, they're very they're more likely than anybody to write you an email that says action required. This is going to change. <laughs> you have That's no so choice. True. It will happen. So I got one question I have and I because and this is just from for my own ignorance. I have one Google Home Mini and like I say I have an old uh, Nest thermostat. So the the sort of metaphor of Google Assistant being the place where you run things, especially mobile. I, I wonder how you feel that works from an accessibility perspective. Is it good for you that there is one interface to rule them all as opposed to each kind of device having its own app? Or do you, or is that in fact the way it works for you? That's funny you should say that. So even though I have a bunch of Google products and use a lot of Google services, I tend to run them in iOS. And uh, just recently have I started to start to do things in Chrome. So I've started to actually use YouTube TV in Chrome more often. And I've 
you know, gone into the play store through Chrome more often. But for the most part, I would, if I was going to do something or troubleshoot something, I would grab my Android device and kind of play around with some things because you could see things with Chromecast and Google home devices in Android because they would take a while to port those features over to iOS and uh, where I would have a, a bit of an accessibility boost on using that interface with iOS and voiceover, I wouldn't necessarily always see that with TalkBack on Android because, again, we're back to what version of Android am I using, uh, what version of TalkBack is running because it can run separate from each other and they can have independent updates. So that was always a little bit of a quandary when I was going to troubleshoot something. Google Home, if you're just using the verbal interface, you know, that's kind of a great way of everybody using the same thing on the same version, unless again, you jump into their preview program, but I don't. Uh, so everybody is going to have a similar experience. And I think that's what makes digital voice assistants so popular is that everybody's going to have a similar way of interacting with those devices and bring in their own qualms. Of course, language makes that a bit of a problem if you don't learn the certain way and syntax that you have to talk to these devices. That could be a little bit of a learning curve, but you, you can get that down eventually. It's when you interact with things, and I'll give you a perfect example. I've come to like the Google Play Music interface. I will have to give up using the Google Play user interface because they're going to merge us all over to YouTube Music. And so it's another UI. I don't think it's nearly as intuitive. I think it's a little clunky, uh, but a lot of my services, you know, with Google change whenever they decide to do a rebrand. And we've had this before. Remember Microsoft did live live.com. Remember that? So, sure. uh, you know, um, it's not as, it's not as dramatic or draconian as Google can make it sometimes. Right. But it's not from your experience, an accessibility hit necessarily. You may have to change the way you understand an interface, but they're not putting you into a black hole where you can't uh, literally, where you can't see what's going on or where you can't use a, a, a screen reader to interact with it if you're doing it on a, a mobile device. I think that, but if they make changes to Chrome as they're doing in the background, sometimes that can funnel down to a mobile device. Uh, Google Search is an app that I use often uh, and the way that they've just done some things in Chrome actually affected how voiceover works within Google search and, uh, cause it uses Chrome at its core. So when I go to interact with, with, with iOS, I'm finding that I can't use the Google search app in the same way this month. You know, that, that could change by next month if they fix it. Uh, but I've had to go to Google news in order to read more of the articles that I would usually read in Google search. And I wouldn't have that if I would go over to the web as bad that just seems to be something that's going on this month and that's rare but it does happen that makes my head hurt thinking about that it's like if i feel like i have to negotiate and navigate my interface in a non-intuitive manner more than i would like if i was in as much of the google verse as you are and you could say the reverse about any like anytime you depend on an ecosystem to the exclusion of others there's going to be weirdnesses about it that you don't like and that to somebody else is going to seem like a failure. You know, you could complain about Apple News in the same way, or you could complain about, uh, I mean, with different problems, but the same way in the sense that you kind of don't have a choice. They're going to tell you what you, what to do, and you're going to have to do it or not. And there's some black boxing. So, yeah, in the case of, say, like our Amazon Fire Stick, we've, we've kind of started to use our Amazon Fire Stick more than our Apple TV. The interface is a little easier to use. Voice View is fairly decent to use. 
but it's not playing well with my Vizio television because I'm using a beta on that to play with the new AirPlay 2. You have a beta on your TV. I love I it. I have a beta on my TV <laughs> to utilize AirPlay 2, which I think is awesome, by the way. AirPlay yeah, yeah. 2 support. Yeah, if you're if you're getting a new television, you must make sure that you have AirPlay 2 support in the future. That is just amazing. Um, but that was something I had to troubleshoot because I had to think, okay, you know, what is not working well? What it, It's not the accessibility at this point. It's the actual visual output. And is it not doing it in 4K and HDR? Or is it just an issue with the beta in this? Yeah. So um, you, you can go overboard with, with this, as you and I both know. But at the same time, uh, coming back to Microsoft and Soundscape, uh, I'm a Microsoft Soundscape insider. And it's interesting to see what's coming for you know, things that, that Microsoft is going to do with soundscape, like, uh, use Bing coming back to your original question at the top of the show, use Bing and some of the information from the web to feed Microsoft soundscape, which is a navigational app for the blind and those who have, uh, issues trying to navigate around them. So you wear it with earbuds and it tells you what's around you and it gives you kind of a 3d sound. So it could sound further away, or it can give you an idea that if a street is on your left, you'll hear it in your left earbud. And Microsoft, uh, is bringing things like, you know, web points of interest, things from Bing maps into soundscapes. And that's kind of awesome. So in some cases, when you do this insidery stuff, you get rewarded really, really well, but you have to be patient and you have to understand again that uh, some of this stuff won't get out to the real world until everybody's had a chance to really kind of hammer it down. Well, I think that's a good point to end on. And uh, Joe, I want to thank you for enlightening me about the Googleverse and the Microsoftverse, places I visit but do not live, and I will admit that publicly. People have accused this of being an Apple show. It's just because I know Apple people. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad to know you and that you are out there keeping an eye on Google and Microsoft and the like. So tell people where they can find you on the Internet and all the things you do. Sure. I overly tweet. By that, I mean I'm, I'm a high-traffic tweeter, so if you decide to follow me, I tweet about all sorts of stuff. Science fiction, uh, technology, and, of course, blindness-related technology. You can follow me over at twitter.com slash rangerstation, all one word. That's twitter.com slash rangerstation. And as you said at the top of the program, I am co-host of Blind Bargains Cast. That's Q-A-S-T. That's what happens when you allow listeners to name your show. And, uh, so we've, we've had to live with that, but, um, BBQ uh, for short and the BBQ has been around now for almost five years, Shelly. That's crazy, and, man. Uh, that and, is, uh, and I, I occasionally get to come and play in their sandbox. Sometimes I show true. up unex- uninvited, but I, you know, <laughs> it's true. So come on over and hear Shelly sometimes and, uh, JJ, myself. They and name Patrick. check me a lot, even when I'm not there. That is true. You, you friend of the show. Yes. Uh, so you can follow us over at blindbargains.com. We have a podcast section over there. We also post articles and we actually have an article that's listed for the show notes about some of the things that have come to windows for accessibility. And also you can follow us on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash blind bargains, all one word. So you can follow this podcast over at parallel pods on Twitter, all one word. You can also go to relay.fm slash parallel to subscribe and to find what will surely be copious show notes for this episode. Or you can follow me personally on Twitter at Shelly. That's S-H-E-L-L-Y. Joe Steinkamp, thanks so much for being on the show. And we'll catch you two weeks from now with a very, very special episode of Parallel. Bye now.